To venerate is to hold in great respect. This great nation of ours is filled with great people that have a story to tell. The Veneration Nation is a storytelling podcast. Storytelling from the distinguished and sometimes controversial members of our community. We will document the stories behind these great people. Join us, listen, and learn. Are you someone we need to talk to? Or do you have a suggestion of someone we should be talking to? Email us your suggestions to the Veneration Nation at Outlook.com. Now, the Veneration Nation podcast, based out of the great Pacific Northwest in Ording, Washington. Well, welcome everyone this evening to tonight's episode. The gentleman we have on tonight is uh, a very special friend of mine. Um, he grew up here in Tacoma. He has some great history I'm sure you're going to enjoy. I'd like to introduce Pastor Red. How you doing I'm there? I'm doing great. I'm doing good. Okay. Yeah, a lot better than I was. Better every day. I hear you got a lot of history that we need to know about tonight. I do have a lot of history. I don't. I talk about certain parts of it when I'm ministering to people and stuff, but I've been just about anywhere anybody could be. I guess, you know, when I started off uh, as a young child, I grew up in the north end of Tacoma. and uh, A local guy. I remember, uh, yeah, I'm a north end guy, and, and uh, we were real poor. And in those days, you know, back in the, like the late 50s and early 60s, my dad was a teacher. My mom would work as a singer. Then she lost her voice and started working as a, a bartender and stuff, a couple of different jobs. And uh, because my dad was wounded terribly in the war, World War II, he came back from World War II with a lot of post-traumatic stress disorder. And he came back as a drunk. And, and alcohol, uh, alcohol has always been a, a consistent problem you know in my family even though they may not realize it um but still what it, it still what it was as a little kid we would go down and fish get it we my dad had a little boat down there and in those days he just um used uh, oars to get the boat around and yeah that was called a meat line and it was spring loaded so when a fish grabbed it it would pop up sure. so we would catch Literally, in those days, four or five salmon every time we went out, maybe lean cod, maybe a, sure. you know, some rockfish or something. And uh, and so that's, you know, we ate pretty much the fish a lot, you know. And then uh, whatever was the cheapest meat. My mom, uh, you know, she was married before my dad married her. And he was a sailor, and he just left her, took off. So here's my older brother. He's the uh, son of her first husband. And then the second husband she had was my dad. And because of the PTSD and the alcohol, he, he had a hard time. And he'd go into a rage and beat my mom and my brother and me up. Oh. And so we went through a lot of that, you know, a lot of abuse. I find myself hiding from my dad when he come home. So, so things along those lines. So where were you going to school then, if you were was, from the north end of Tacoma? I was got, going to Mount Downing Elementary. I lived on North uh, 31st and Ferdinand in Tacoma. Okay. 
And so, you know, I started to go to the school down there at uh, Mount Downing, and I really wanted to play guitar, and I watched the Beatles play on TV one night, and I knew that's just what I wanted to do. I wanted to play guitar and make a living doing that. And so I got a guitar from a lady that worked for my mom, a really nice lady. And uh, she had passed away about two weeks after she gave me that guitar, which inspired me really to focus on playing it. And just out of uh, admiration for her and out of thanksgiving and gratefulness for what she did, I I was going to play that guitar no matter how how hard it was or how long it took me. And so I learned Beatles songs. Sometimes I take my guitar to elementary school and I go out on the during the, our recesses, and I mm-hmm. go out and play my guitar and sing Beatles songs. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so, and as I grew up, you know, I played on stages in our, uh, we had talent shows at the school, and so I would always go up and play a song on my guitar. Sure, you know, sure. enjoy that. And then, uh, you so know. You, and, so you're still in Tacoma yeah. at this point? Yes, yeah, still in Tacoma. Did you, did you go to high school in Tacoma as well? I did. I went to uh, uh, Hunt Junior High, and I went to Woodrow Wilson High School, and I guess they're changing the name now Okay. to yeah. something else. So in, uh, I met some older musicians, and they were all smoking dope, and they offered me some, and I started smoking dope at about 11, 11 years of age. Oh. And these are older guys in their teens and stuff. And then uh, 12 years old, I was drinking and smoking pot and playing music. We had a jug band called Big Red and the Bonnevilles. And uh, and we played bluegrass music. And I flat picked. We had a um, banjo player. We had a guy that did dobro and a guy that did a washed bass. And we all harmonized. And sure. It was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Are, are, there any, that, are there any old recordings of that anywhere? No, not in those days. Uh-uh. Oh boy, that would be something interesting to hear. Yeah, it would have been fun to get some of that down, you know, and be able to listen to it. But then, you know, as things progressed, you know, I I kept playing music, got better. I still play at schools or for things, and for my friends, I play a lot for my friends, you know, just learning stuff. Sure. And but the drugs and alcohol got more and more and more, and um, so. You know, I find myself just barely making it through school. And then, um, yeah, but I would do do crazy things. Give us a quick time frame on when this was. Oh, well, I graduated in 1973 from Wilson High School. Okay, okay. So in my, my, uh, I went to um, Hunt Junior High School, which is right up off of 6th Avenue. Okay. Um, It's just a couple of blocks down. Aside from Sixth Avenue, and then I went to Wilson High. Now, in Wilson High School, I started doing more stuff like Hendrix style music and sure. blues and rocking, and I was playing in coffee houses and things like that at, at that young age. And we play all all the time at places, and I mean, people really enjoyed it. Sure. And then um, I remember meeting famous blues players. And uh, getting to go back behind stage and watch them play. Yeah. Really cool people, you know. And getting to jam with some of them. And 
And uh, just for me, you know, I went from one kind of music to another kind of music, and I played different kinds of music. And, and I didn't want to get stuck just doing one kind. I wanted to be able to really enjoy the different flavors of music that were out there. And so I got better and better. And um, and then uh, in high school, you know, I mean, I, I used to do crazy things. One thing, I was just telling uh, some friends of mine Sunday that I, I jumped in the water under the Narrows Bridge um, in January at the lowest tide of the year. And at Wilson High School, we had a uh, marine biology class. And so we went down to look for things you could put in their saltwater tanks. And okay. so um, I, I'm looking down, and I see an octopus oh. kind of down oh. off the shelf. Oh. And I, so I handed a friend my wallet, and I jumped in and wrestled with that thing in about five feet of water and for about 20 minutes. So I got it out <laughs> and got it up on the top, and he stuck it in. A, we had these smaller garbage cans that we put water in, and then we put different things that we'd find along the shore. Because during that, the lowest tide of the year, you could walk down a couple of shelves. It's like steps, big steps going down into sure. the narrow. Sure. But the danger is when that tide changes, you got to be out of that water because it turns into almost like a river. Down. Oh, sure. You're going That's with currently. it. It's scary, yeah. And last thing I want to do is get swept out into the bay and drown. <laughs> so uh, I came home and I stuck it in the uh, my refrigerator. I cleaned out the bottom shelf. I put it in there. It was alive. Closed the door. and went to bed. And the next morning, my sisters got up and they were all arguing. And they opened that door and <laughs> That thing slid right out on the floor, man, with his tentacles reaching out toward him and stuff, and he started screaming. And uh, I, I never hear the end of that from oh, my family. I bet. And it was pretty funny, you know. But uh, <laughs> we do things like that and just kind of tease each other and give each other a bad time. Sure, sure. So, you know, so I did goofy stuff like that. And, you know, I don't know, when you're, when you're a kid, you, you think you're – invincible you know oh absolutely yeah but you're not <laughs> okay when's the when's when's the and i may be jumping ahead here but when's the first time you jumped on a motorcycle oh young in life first time i got to ride a motorcycle i was in junior high school now we had some dirt bikes that we played with you know and we had a one of the old Honda 90s, you know, that's a little step-through thing. And we had we had one of those. We were riding those around. And so I got the, I kind of got the feel for motorcycles back then. But, but here's the thing, as a musician, you either have money for music gear or motorcycle parts. <laughs> and I wanted to play. So even though I could ride motorcycles and I would, would ride bikes out, here and there, you know, with people that I knew. Um, and I'd use theirs or borrow theirs and go ride and stuff. I was all about getting all my gear together. Sure. So I could go play places. Because I still had that thing with the Beatles that was kind of going on. And I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to miss that. I was enjoying it. And that was a natural gift. And so, sure. you know, over the years, people have given me guitars and amps things and I've given them away and uh, you know I, I it's just so funny how you can hear a young kid play in a youth correction center and then a um, uh, guy was really good the nice nice 
touch on the guitar and everything. And I, I went and played my guitar there and then I let him play on it for a while. And so when he got out of, uh, uh, is it Green Hill? I think it is down Shalis. Yeah. The day he got out, I met him at the gate with his mom and dad. And I took him over to a Denny's and bought him lunch and gave him a guitar. So he could, when he got out, he could start focusing on that and maybe not getting any more trouble. Again, oh, sure. You know? Sure. So uh, I enjoyed stuff like that, you know? Oh, sure. And then um, I started, I was playing music for guys in the clubs. I play, you know, we go play parties and things like that. Or I would, um, I played in a, got in a band called Big Red. It's a guitar duo. And from there, I went into a band called Taxi that was real well known in the Tacoma and Seattle area. And um, during that time, you know, I got offered two recording contracts. And I ended up turning them down, but I was still playing music. But now I was also doing things I shouldn't be doing, like criminal stuff. And, oh. You know, I'm trying to make money, trying to make ends meet, trying to do this, trying to do that. And I remember one day that, you know, the, the very last time that I got arrested um, in Tacoma, I went in and then they had to let me go because had a really good attorney and I never kept anything in my room. And, uh, and so they found stuff out in their garage and then my, then the guy that stayed in the other room in my house, they found in his room. And so I mean, I was thinking about that, man, you know, I've always had a saying, don't do the crime if you can't do the time. Yeah. So I thought, well, do I really want to keep doing this? And I, I was already trying to quit drinking and I was pretty much an alcoholic by then. And, and um, definitely in, in the drugs. And so, you know, I went to playing music and stuff. But by the time I was 25 years old, I was really monkeyed up really bad. And I was doing things I shouldn't do. Yeah. I hurt I hurt people. And I, and I just felt really crappy about my life. And I could play guitar really good and play music and make people happy. And we had a great time playing music. But at that one point, I just started feeling like, man, this is, I don't want this anymore. Everybody promises you all this stuff, and they never come through with it. And, yeah. you know, you get tired of people doing stuff and just the weird things that happen. And uh, next thing I know, I'm um, I'm just really hungry for something. And I, don't, I didn't like Christians. I didn't like going to churches. I, I wouldn't even, I mean, I just avoided them at all costs. Yeah. And um, I just wasn't into that. But uh, when a guy that played uh, keyboards, Doug Scoob, uh, just a phenomenal keyboard player, still has a great keyboard player, um, he came, called me up one night, and I was really messed up. I, mean, I was at a point where I was just like so self-destructive. I don't know how long I would have lived after that. I was just destructive. And I was destroying myself at the same time and everything. And I remember he called and said, hey, I got to play music tomorrow. My band doesn't want to play. Do you want to bring a guitar? And you and I can just play some songs. Yeah. I said, sure. And so he came by, woke me up, picked me up, and took me down to the place at the Knights of Columbus Hall, a ca like a Catholic thing that they have, uh, Knights of Columbus. Yeah, okay. And... um and there's more to the story, but I'm just trying to cut time. 
And so I went down there and listened to the street preacher, and I was so mad at my friend. I just wanted to punch him. And the street preacher had a real nice 61 Impala. And thinking, well, the guy's not that bad. I mean, that's a nice car, you know. And he was out of L.A. He was a street preacher down there. And so I went in, and I was mad and everything. And I sat down, and we played some blues stuff for him. And uh, then we went. I went over and sat down, and we sat in the back. And, you know, my friend Doug stuck with me, you know, so I wouldn't get all sideways. And I was already all sideways about it. I remember when I walked in that door, a little old man walked up, and I wanted to get out of it so bad. I didn't, I didn't have a ride. And I had gear. And this little old man came up, and he's crying. And I'm thinking, what's the matter? So I asked him, are you okay? And he goes, I'm so glad you're here. And I'm like, what? And he's crying. He's excited that I came to that one. Of course, I had real long hair, real long beard. You know, I've been yeah. binging. And so, I, you know, I stunk. And I was just a mess. So I, I had a hard time with that guy. And that just disarmed me. I couldn't believe somebody had that kind of love of them uh, for somebody they didn't even know. Sure. And this guy was the genuine deal. I hadn't met any guys like that. And uh, or Christians like that. Most of the time, they would just give me a bad time about my life because it was so bad. I mean, I had, my life was terrible. I was a troll, and um, so I go in there and I we play music and I listen to this guy teach about Jesus, and I realized no one ever talked to me about Jesus like that. It was yeah. always giving me a bad time for not going to church or or, or not being a Christian or this or that. But they never told me about Jesus. You know, they didn't talk about what he was like. Nobody did that. And I thought, man. And so this guy started teaching me about Jesus, which was different from everything I heard from everybody else. And um, man, I just got, just got, like that story and what he said and how he delivered it. Yeah. You know, besides the presence of God being there. Man, I, I ended up just getting up and walking down to the, the front of the church. I mean, I just got up and walked down. I don't even know why I did it. And, uh, you know, now I do. But back then, I had no I had no idea. I had the slightest clue. So here I go down there to the front, and he goes, what are you doing down here? And I go, I don't know. I just <laughs> felt like I needed to come down. He goes, well, go sit down, and I'll talk to you after we're done. And so I was mad that I walked down. I was embarrassed and everything. And I went back, and. I was kind of getting that, so my attitude really stunk. And uh, he came back, and we talked, and he was trying to tell me, look, you don't want to do something unless you're totally aware of what you're doing. You don't want to make a decision unless you really understand it. So I said, well, I understand. He goes, so I didn't want you to make a decision and not really know what it's all about. Sure. So let me give you this book, and you read it this weekend. It's called The Greatest Story Ever Told. And when I got that book, I took it home and I started, and I was pretty illiterate. So it took me almost, well, it took me the better part of what, five, six days to read it. Okay. And uh, I remember, and I, I remember when they came and arrested Jesus, everything that was against, you know, what I believed and how I lived and, you know, the code right. that I went by, it just got messed up because. You know, you don't ever snitch on a brother. You don't turn him over to the cops. You don't do all that stuff. And so here are these, this guy 
one of his own brothers turned him over to the Pharisees. They came and arrested him in the middle of the night. Had this kangaroo court for him because it really was a kangaroo court. Yeah. According to the law of Moses, there are several things that happened that should have never happened. But they went against the law that they thought they were protecting to kill a man that they thought they were threatened by. So then when he when he gets killed and he's on the cross, I just was thinking in my head, I want to go back in time and just kill those guys. Yeah. You know? I was so mad. And then it was like I threw my book across the room, I got it. I was already in a rage and I was just gonna go out and start hammering on people in my house. And uh, and then it was like like something telling me there's still some of the story left. Pick up the book and read the rest. So I picked it up and started reading and he came back to life and he's living in heaven. And so I knew right then I'd had my hope. I'd gotten hope because here's this guy and I got my hope back because this guy is alive now, you know, but I, when I first got a hope and then he got arrested and, and he went to court and died, I was angry how they treated him and everything sure. after everything he did for everybody. And so, uh, when I found out that he was alive, I prayed. I didn't even know how to pray. So I just did the best I could and just talked to him and said, look, when I go to church on Sunday, I'm going to ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Yeah. Is there, is, is, is there really a wrong way to pray? Why at that moment I didn't know I didn't I didn't have to wait till Sunday. Yeah. I could oh, sure. Pray nothing in my heart, but I didn't know any better, man. I was just right. Yeah, you know, pretty messed up. But I told him, "Hey, I'm going to accept you on Sunday, and I'm going to ask you to be the Lord of my life." I'm sure he got a kick out of that. <laughs> you know, and uh, he's, sure he, enough, he's been waiting for you, Red. I know. And then I had a went to sleep, and then woke up with a broken wrist in the morning. Oh. And it hurt so bad, and I was supposed to play music at a benefit that day for a food bank. It was right across the street from where these guys had their little church services in the Knights of Columbus Hall. I remember sitting on that church right before I went to that uh, church where I got saved in the Knights of Columbus Hall. It's a 670 Baptist church, and I was yelling up at up in the heavens asking God to prove who he was, and if he was so real, come on down and prove it, and I mean, I was just screaming at him. I'm surprised the cops didn't come and take me to jail that night. I was pretty lit up. And, I, and I'd and i walked home. I'd been at the engine house number nine and uh, drank a lot and closed it up and went home. And I was just, like, ready to call it. And uh, I had a, you know, we in those days, they had the cell phone. You just had wall, wall phones, you know, plug in the wall. Right. And my friend Doug called me and invited me to go play music. And I went. It was to the little meeting place across the street from that very same church. And that's where I ended up getting saved um, a week later after my first visit. Wow. You know, I went in there and gave my heart to the Lord. But God healed me. I mean, I had a broken wrist. I went down to um, the Tacoma General Hospital and they x-rayed my wrist. They said, oh, it's broken. We don't know why you don't have bruising and swelling it doesn't make sense oh yeah and you can look at the bones and there were some of them were like split in half so they wanted to do surgery and i said no i gotta go play music so they said you can't play music because your your wrist is broken and you're gonna damage it. i go no i just read this book called the greatest story ever told about jesus and it says he's alive 
and he healed all kinds of people for all kinds of things. He's going to take you know, care of it. Yeah, yeah, deaf, blind, you know, lepers, dead people. And I'm telling him, he, if he's alive now, he can heal me now. So they go, no, you can't do that. And so all of a sudden, they had this big argument going. And I'm talking to these doctors, and they're like, going, you got to be high on something. You must be blasted. But during that week, I was reading that book. I stopped using and drinking yeah. and just locked myself in that room. And, you know, I really didn't think about the drugs and alcohol like I normally would. I'd be thinking yeah. about it all the time. Little of night, get up and get high and go back to sleep. And so all of a sudden, just through this thing God was doing in me from that one Sunday to the next, God had been already working on my body to heal me and deliver me from my addiction and some other things I was I had going on. And that, that Sunday, I gave my heart to the Lord. But that night, I went, I left the hospital, and a friend drove me to the back 40 uh, where we were playing music. We had a food bank benefit for that. That 6th Avenue Baptist had a fish food bank. And so here we are there, and we're, um, we're going to play music to try to get them food in their food bank. So see how this is all so weird. And I'm going to, I'm visiting this little outreach church in the Knights of Columbus, which is right across the street from Sixth Avenue Baptist. And through all these things, I ended up doing a benefit with a bunch of other really well known bands in the area. Okay. And we had trucks filled with food. And there was standing room only on the inside, and there's still people standing on the outside wanting to get in. Wow. And I came in and they, they bandaged up my arm you know, with the ace bandage and stuff. And when I went in there, everybody's all bummed out. I said, man, and Jesus is going to heal me. I'll be fine. Don't worry about it. I mean, I just didn't even think about it. I got so consumed in that book with who Jesus was, you know, because God was really revealing him to me. And so that night in front of all those people, I took that bandage off and asked a friend to help me pray. And I prayed and God, the power of God got me in it. I was healed. I could play my guitar without any trouble. That's awesome. Silver for, silver for the first time in, what, let's see, 10, 15 years. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, and from that point on, you know, I, I gave my heart to the Lord, and I, I started, you know, I had bad things. I had a contract put out on my life by people that I was dealing drugs for, and I had other things that, uh, were going on and my life was in danger, but I, I didn't even think about it it's yeah. because I knew that God would take care of me. Sure. And you know, for that first year, when that, when that paper was active on me, you no, know, people could have had taken a shot at me and never did. Yeah. You know, and I think they realized afterwards that, um, you know, I wasn't going to turn anybody in. It just freaked them out that one day I'm smoking dope. And I'm a, I'm a lunatic. You know, I mean, I, I'm a lunatic, crazy in my head, but funny, and, but still crazy. And and then next day, all of a sudden, I'm serving Jesus, and it, it would freak anybody out in that situation. <laughs> well, I can, yeah, I can imagine. So after that, I, I uh, put a rock gospel band, uh, rock and blues gospel band together wrote a bunch of music, and we played in all the biker bars. Sure. Outreaches and prisons and stuff. And um, so 
all of a sudden, all these guys from the club that knew me from playing music and and, and doing other stuff I shouldn't have been doing, um, they're looking at me like, what happened? <laughs> well, I got saved, you know? And and so, you know, they could have been really upset. People could have got mad about that. You know, I mean, I could have, I could have really went through some physical trouble. But thank God, God just protected me during that time. And I ran into the guy that put the paper out on me later on, and we bought a car from him at a dealership in Tacoma, actually down off of River Road. And my wife didn't tell me who he was. She said, yeah, they got us a great band. And he's going to help us with all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. So I go down there and walk in, and there's the guy that I was doing all this bad stuff with. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, so all of a sudden, I'm thinking, oh, and I walked up to him and, you know, shook hands with him. And he goes, well, I know Red. Red and I have been friends. We go way back. And my wife goes, really? And they're all just, you know, him and her are talking. And then I asked him, I said, are we good? And he said, yeah. So I knew I was okay. You know, sure. At that point. Sure. And from there, man, I started singing gospel music and doing recordings. Right. And uh, and though none of the labels or Christian labels, they didn't want to have anything to do with it. Oh, yeah. But yet there were other bands out there that were rocking it out. Petro was out there. And, you know, and there's some other bands that were rising up, you know, Baron Cross and a few others, yet they didn't want to have anything to do with that music. Right. But it was all gospel, like meaning it it always shared the gospel and gave people an opportunity to make a decision what they wanted to do. Right. And so God has put us in places where we had gang members around us, and God would take that anger against each other out, and at the end of playing for them, they'd all be hugging each other. Oh, yeah. All kinds of crazy stuff. Oh, yeah. So what, I so, got I got to travel and play. Yeah. So 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 when did when did the motorcycles come back into play? Well, as I was um, pastoring, we had bikers that came to our church. Oh, okay. And a lot of the people that would go out and see were people that were have problems with drugs and alcohol and what I call hard life. And of course, I still had friends out in the motorcycle world. Okay. And uh, so, you know, I ended up hooking up with uh, um, one group, and they, they, you know, it was just kind of a weird deal. It was a bad thing to hook up with this guy. And so, ended up getting out of that. And then I, I hooked up with the Christian Crusaders. And uh, Christian Crusaders, I hooked up with them about, well, I've known Future Mike, the guy that founded it since 1982 but it was really at the end of 1999 2000 that I actually really started writing and supporting those guys and ended up prospecting and getting a patch there which I've had ever since sure now that, and, that's uh, an international organization is it not yes it is and um, it's full of people that have been in various clubs before they came in, into that ministry and a lot of them had real hardcore, crazy backgrounds like I did. I mean, you know, violence was a normal thing and, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. And then just, and just being over the line. Like there's a old saying, you know, if you take, if you're not 
living on the edge, you take up too much room, you know, and stuff like that. And you learn all these things in the world before you get saved. And then all of a sudden, you're, you're back out there again, you know, and you're, but you're a different person. Yeah. And so all I did is I just go out and support these guys and love on them. And so, no, people had a hard time with me going out and visiting with, you know, different guys in the clubs out there. And some of them were pretty um, tough guys, you know. But the thing is, everybody everybody is like a treasure chest, and they all have a treasure. And and they all have gifts and talents and things. And So then as I'm sitting there talking and getting to know different people, I'm realizing, wow, look at all these guys with such an amazing potential to be around God. And, but God wants to be around them, you know. He has a plan for them. Sure. And so when somebody had a need, I'd go take care of it. And I never said anything about it with anybody else, you know. And we start doing that. And I try to be there every time. And we promote runs that benefited people that were in the hospital or been in an accident or you know, people that were that were having a hard time financially, stuff like that. And that, to me, it was just normal Jesus stuff. You know, and I, I find it amazing when Christians don't go out and do that. Right. And right. It's just like, it's sad. It's sad to me. So, um, yeah, I had to, uh, I, and then, you know, I've been through some bad experiences in churches, really bad experiences. And uh, it, it really bothered me. Uh, after I became a Christian, I studied for the ministry. I also ended up studying to be a chaplain. I became a chaplain. And uh, so I worked out in the community and did stuff. And I helped, you know, like uh, police or fire people if they needed help. And um, and then I, I just went out and helped people. I wanted to be where they were when their world was collapsing around them or just blowing up and I started doing that and after that God wanted me to start training people up for the ministry. Sure. I got I had gotten an ordination, then I got another ordination and then somebody else ordained me and I'm, I think I just said like I got too many of these things. And they go, Well we're just being a covering over you and I go, Okay. <laughs> but and then you know, I, I was an illiterate guy. I actually got a PhD in two thousand nine. Oh, yeah, I see. That's something. I mean, you and I have known each other for quite a while, but that's something I didn't know. Yeah, I actually have it hanging on my wall from North, North Carolina College of Theology. Yeah. So I, I've learned a lot, you know, um, over the years. And, you know, I've studied, I've studied under a lot of great teachers and people. And I was always amazed at what God could do in my life. I mean, I watched dead people come back to life. I've seen some miracles that just astounded me. I watched a guy get out of a wheelchair at a gas station. Oh, he was in his car, but he was almost a quadriplegic. But he could still move one arm a little bit, and he could still breathe. But, um, you know, to a degree, but he couldn't walk or use his one other arm. He had broken his neck in an accident. And God got me up in the middle of the night in Sweden. He sent me to Sweden. Check that out. God sent me to Sweden. And when I got there, there was a motorcycle waiting for me to ride for almost a month. And I rode that thing all month long. And traveled around Sweden and ministered to people and 
ministered to bikers and ministered to prisoners, and, you know, because I've done a lot of stuff in prisons and corrections. And, and you've still got connections in Sweden, do you not? Yeah, there are Brazil and Canada. Yeah. And then, you know, in different places in the United States, I got brothers in several places in this country. Yeah. And, you know, we have, we, the thing about those guys is they're so, they're my, they're like my family, you know, I'm real close with them and tight with them. And I, I give them all my life for those guys in a heartbeat, you know, as I hope I would do for anybody that, you know, is going to be injured or whatever. But um, those guys have been a family to me in this last, November when I was dying in the hospital, they were all praying for me, you know, and they were letting me know they were praying. And um, and they reached out to a lot of people. And during that 20 days I was in the hospital with COVID, um, there were people praying all over the world for me, which I didn't realize. Yeah. And then yeah. toward the end of that hospital stay, and I could think clearly, and I could get oxygen in me, then I began realizing how many people were praying and I was, you know, I just really ministered to my heart. Those prayers kept me alive, you know, and I, we've lost so many people that COVID, yeah. you know, and, and, uh, but I know people were praying for them too, right. but sometimes their bodies just don't, can't handle that. And so, you know, I've already had a heart injury from a bad heart surgery and I've had kidney failure. I was on dialysis and then boom. I get hit with that, and next thing I know, I'm in the hospital. Yeah, you know, just kind of teeter tottering between life and death. About a week and two different times. So at the beginning of that week and at the end, the doctors came in and said, "You're not." The first time he said, "You're not going to make it through the night. You're, you're just not. You're way too sick." We're seeing, you know, by the blood draws and everything, and other stuff, and my oxygen saturation levels. They just say, "You're not going to live." You know. How do you, you want us to, you know, put you on morphine or do you want to go on a ventilator? And I almost said, yeah, for the ventilator because that's having a hard time breathing anymore. Yeah. My muscles were sore. But, you know, God took me through all of that. Yeah. So I was just, uh, of all people, I was very blessed. No. You know? Yeah, and, um, absolutely. And I miss people. I miss being there when they're going through things. I've, I've lost some friends. During that time, I couldn't go out and see people, and you know, and I couldn't be there when they were dying. I couldn't be there when they were going through the hard, the hardness of this COVID and other things they were going through. Right. And that really bothered me the most. You know, being sick, they bothered me as not being able to be there and help people. But yeah. It just messed my head up. And I'm thinking, I should be out of here. I should be there. I should be doing this or that. But I couldn't. I was stuck in the hospital. Yeah. It's your turn to get help from everyone that, that you've helped over the years. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now you... So my, I'm sorry. Go yeah. ahead, Red. Well, so my, my involvement with bikers started off a long time ago when I was playing for playing at different things that they put on. I'd go in and jam and play my guitar for them. I'd go with a band, or I would play in biker bars, you know, And before I got saved. And uh, the taxi band would play in some of those places. And they loved the band, you know. And I got to know a lot of people and made friends over the years, you know, since I was, uh, you know, in my mid-teens on. 
And a lot of these guys are hardcore guys and they're tough guys. So when I'm sitting there uh, playing and stuff for them, you know, I'm, I'm kind of looking at what's going on and I'm thinking, wow, that's a great bunch of guys, you know. Well, I wasn't afraid of them as much as other people were. Yeah. Because um, I got to know them and they're, they're just great people. But, um, you know, and they were like, they meant a lot to me because they believed in that brotherhood. You know, and a lot of guys that come out of the military, join motorcycle clubs. They've got motorcycle clubs that are military-based, you know. Yeah. And uh, so I just enjoyed the, I like to say camaraderie, but really more than that was just how they were bonded, how they were tight. And, uh, and I thought, wow, okay. You know, the church wasn't even like that. You yeah. couldn't find people in the church that wouldn't argue about things or, or leave the church or have splits or, I mean, it was terrible. And I'm thinking, this is, this is amazing because here these guys are and they got each other's back and they love each other and they're serving. And so when I met the Crusaders, that's what they were doing. Yeah. That's what drew me the Crusaders because they would, they wouldn't even eat until everybody that they were feeding that was a guest in their camp got to eat and they fed them until they couldn't eat anymore. You know? Yeah, wow. Yeah. So I, I always just thought, well, that's what the church is all about. It should be there. Yeah, that's what it should be. Absolutely. Yeah. So the Crusaders, um, you know, they like I said, a lot of them come out of different clubs and different things. And a lot of these guys have a, you know, a history about them that, you know, uh, can be kind of scary when you, people talk to them that don't understand that motorcycle culture. Right. And right. yeah, to me, they're just the most genuine brothers, and I just have so much love and respect for them. Oh, absolutely. And I do that with the guys in all the clubs. I yeah. have a great love and respect for them all. But right. Again, I'm not called to get the healthy healed. I'm, you know, I'm called to go after people that need help, need, need somebody genuine there without strings attached. Absolutely. Just being a phone. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that builds a relationship. And next thing I know, I got guys I'm praying with. I got guys walking up asking if I can pray quietly for them off to the side about something going on. Or, and I never talk about it with anybody. Yeah. You know, whatever they talk about with me, it doesn't go anywhere. I don't tell anybody or share that, anything to anybody about that. Right, right. You know, confidentiality is a huge deal when you're ministering to people and they're having things going on. Absolutely. And, yeah. You know, you just want, what you want to do is you want to be there and help them. Now you, know? you now you at the present day pastor church here locally, do you not? I do. Why don't it's you share, why, why don't you share a little bit about your church, if you would? We're in ministry together called Aggressive Ministries. When my wife and, and I first got married, 25 years ago, 26 years ago. Uh, wow, 27 years ago now. <laughs> Time is flying. I, I keep remembering we've moved ahead a year and then another year. It, goes, anyway, it, it goes by quick. It does. And so, you know, we would pray a lot together. And God really had us doing a lot of ministry, outreach ministry, you know, prison ministries, and just all kinds of stuff. We'd go all kinds of places. And minister to people and love on them. You know, ministry means that you're serving them. 
So when people hear the term ministering, you know, we're just serving people, you know, just loving on them and serving them like they're the most important person on the earth. And that can, and that, one day, and that can look like yeah. different things too. It sure can. And so when they were out and I, we had a lot of rain going and we were living up at uh, Surprise Lake in the apartments up there and we went down in the docks and a lot of rain came down and the docks were like under like about two inches of water. So we walked out and just sat down on a bench with our feet in the water, you know, and we we're praying and all of a sudden God just started sharing stuff with us. And then I wrote down the bylaws and things for it. And we incorporated it as a nonprofit ministry called Aggressive Ministries. And the, the vision behind it was that the people in that church would not be lukewarm or pew warmers, but they would want to go out and serve people all around them and just minister to people. And so that was the whole thing it was built on. It was about, you know, about being aggressive or getting devoured by your circumstances. Right. So right. We realized the best way to help them prepare for that is we needed to teach them. So I created uh, kind of like my own personal Bible school thing uh, uh, that I teach people by. And it's like uh, what is it? six or seven semesters now. And uh, it's very intensive. And we sit down and go through books and read books and I take them to the Bible and we have a, um, a workbook for each semester. And it's just full of the word of God. And then the experiences I've had over 41 years of serving Jesus while serving in the community yes. from being a chaplain and being a pastor and, and everything else. You know? So like people go, you should write up about your life. And I'm being very, I'm not really telling you a lot of stuff. I would just kind of give you an overall amount. No, that's, you know, you know, I, I, I set this whole podcast up because everyone has a story. Oh yeah. And, and you're someone that I wouldn't have even, you know, considered not talking to. (laughs) So I appreciate that. Sean. (laughs) I know you love me, right? Yeah, well, you know, you know, I'll tell you what, and and uh, you know, I I named this podcast the Veneration Nation for a reason. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. ven- veneration, uh, the the word venerate means to hold in high esteem. And yeah, I, and I don't know of anyone better deserving of being held in high esteem than you. Oh, wow. Thanks. I appreciate that. I'm going to let's, let's, uh, do do you have just some final thoughts you might want to share here before we, uh, before we end this? Yeah. Just off of what you just shared with me, I've never done anything for any recognition or any of that. Um, Through the years, I don't even know how many people we've touched my wife and I, and but we didn't do it for recognition or anything. We always did because there was a need. And we both kind of got, kind of, we kind of got to a place where we understood the Lord was saying to us, you know, that we're supposed to go out there and be a light for people. And then to um, not only do that, but 
uh, you know, do the things that we do so people would give God the glory and not us. Yes. And that's out of Matthew 5, you know, so it says you're the salt of the earth. And so, you know, serving God is just about serving other people as Jesus would do it if he was there and no strings attached. Absolutely. And that's just, that's what we did. Yep. And so when I find people that are out there doing that, you see some of the most remarkable testimonies uh, that yes. come out of that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and another thought is, um, you know, after being to uh, almost dying in the hospital, I've come, had several kind of near-death things over the couple of years. You watched me go through that. and But the, the deal is, um, I know that that Jesus has has our back. And I have faith in them in my heart. So when my head doesn't work or my head's freaking out, like when I was in the hospital, I still had peace in my life. And I was just waiting for the Lord to come get me. Even though he didn't, I, I still had that peace. And when you walk with Jesus, no matter where you go through, even like in the times today that are so uncertain, you still have peace because yeah. Jesus brings you that peace that passes all understanding. Yeah, it's our and head. The other two, it's our yeah. head that messes us up all the time. Yeah, yeah. And then another thing, brothers like you in my life are always there as an encouragement and an inspiration to me. And so I always keep my eyes open for people that really stand out that I can really watch and appreciate, you know, and, and build a relationship with. And I feel like they teach me stuff every time I see them. You know, I feel that way about you and Jeff and a lot of other people that I have in my life. I learn a lot from them, you know, and I don't even think they realize that. But no, I, I just, that's what I do. Yeah, see, I, know, I, I, I don't think that, I don't think that a lot of us really realize the impact we have on others around us. Uh, you know, the, the, the impact that you've had just on me, I mean, you know, or the impact you talk about the impact I've had, you know, necessarily on you. I mean, I don't even think about, you know, I'm making an impact on somebody. Yeah. But it, it's there. We just ourselves, we don't, we don't see that. But well, it's a, you know, and one day God will show those people to you and, and then you'll understand that the only reason that you really got born again wasn't because you wanted eternal life. That was the desire of your heart, but the desire of God's heart was that you touch everybody within your reach and you begin yes. to minister to them. And that's his way of helping people in this earth, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. and you know, brother, you and I can go out and just be who we are and love on people and, you know, bless them and stuff. And, and yes. never realize what it does in their life, but God does, and that's, that's good. Yes, you know we're like yes. humble. We don't want to go out there and toot our horn. I'd rather toot Jesus' horn. Right. I'd rather lift him up. Well, well, I wanna I wanna invite anyone who may be local that's going to be listening to us. Uh, I would like if if you'd like to uh, uh, meet Pastor Red in person. Uh, I'd like to invite you to uh, look up Aggressive Ministries in Pacific, correct? Yes, sir. The yeah. little town of Pacific, Washington. Uh, 
stop by, say hello to him. Uh, again, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I words, words can't describe, uh, the, uh, the love I have for this gentleman here on the line tonight. And I just want to, want to thank him for coming on. And, uh, we went a little over our norm here. Uh, I normally try and keep it down to about 30 minutes, but we're up at over 50 right now. But, uh, <laughs> Hey, it's all good. It's all good. Uh, I'm a pastor and we're always long winded. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't even got to my second closing yet. <laughs> 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 well, Red, Red, uh, I, I really want to thank you for coming on tonight. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and um, uh, God bless you. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll see each other in person again real soon. Yeah, I'm, I'm praying for that. I'd like to do that. Absolutely. Thanks again for coming on. All righty. Thank you. God bless you, brother. Thank you. someone you think might be a popular guest for us, uh, please send out a quick email to the veneration nation at outlook.com and uh, please tune in next week for our next episode. Thank you very much.
need your mighty call We are ready for this hour Lord, release your mighty Forsake your sin and enter in Break out, break out, break out Intercession and the word of God Is birthing something new Deep inside of you So praise him, I praise him, praise him For the battle is losing Praise him, praise him, praise him For we reigns forevermore Let your glory come and let your fire fall. Then the heat to you, we rise to you. 